Being American is more than a pride we inherit. It's the past we step into and how we repair it. We've seen a force that would shatter our nation rather than share it, would destroy our country if it meant delaying democracy. And this effort very nearly succeeded. But while democracy can be periodically delayed, it can never be permanently defeated. Welcome to 10 Minutes on Democracy. I'm Jason Franklin, Senior Advisor at One for Democracy, and today is Tuesday, December 20th. In just a moment, we'll talk about the conclusion of the January 6th investigation. But to contrast with that, I wanted to start this final episode of the year of 10 Minutes on Democracy with that clip you just heard of Amanda Gorman's recitation of The Hill We Climb at the 2020 inauguration. Coming just weeks after the insurrection, she had to rewrite that poem and it became a highlight of a really hopeful day and a reminder of the resiliency of American democracy. As we wrap the year, I wanted to start with that hopeful reminder and invite you all to take time to listen to her full five-minute recitation of The Hill We Climbed sometime this week. It's a really powerful piece. So speaking of January 6th, Following on the conviction of the Trump Organization in a New York criminal tax fraud case two weeks ago, yesterday, Trump got more bad news. The January 6th committee formally accused Trump of inciting an insurrection, conspiracy to defraud the United States, and obstructing Congress's January 6th joint session. And yesterday, unanimously voted to refer the crimes to the Justice Department for prosecution. It is the first time ever that Congress has referred a former president for criminal prosecution for different counts. Um, And in addition to Trump's criminal referrals, the panel also referred Mark Meadows, John Eastman, Jeffrey Clark, Kenneth Chesbrough, and Rudy Giuliani for prosecution. Giuliani also had an additional setback last week after a three-member bar discipline committee in Washington, D.C. concluded that he violated at least one professional rule in his efforts to help Trump challenge the results of the 2020 election, specifically his handling of litigation in Pennsylvania. This preliminary finding begins the process of potentially suspending or removing him his law license. And the finding came after a week of testimony by Giuliani, who said Trump waived attorney-client privilege to permit him to testify and many of his allies. But back to the January 6th committee, none of the committee's referrals, it's important to note, compel the Justice Department to act. Attorney General Merrick Garland has already appointed a veteran prosecutor, his name is Jack Smith, as special counsel to investigate Trump's involvement in the attempted insurrection, as well as the classified documents that were stored illegally at Mar-a-Lago. The referral sent yesterday will likely have no impact on the timing of Smith's investigation. Many of the experts covering this situation are also saying it's very possible that the committee is transmitting evidence to the Department of Justice that's not yet public. Essentially, the committee's work and their criminal referral is a roadmap for the Department of Justice and a formal request that they use it. Their full report will be released to the public later today. The panel also referred four Republicans, Kevin McCarthy, Jim Jordan, Scott Perry, and Andy Biggs, to the House Ethics Committee for ignoring their subpoenas. However, the House Ethics Committee always has an even number of Democratic and Republican members on the committee, And so the Republicans can stop any movement on those ethics violations by themselves, um, which, given the partisan and polarized moment, is very, very likely. Benny Thompson, who's chaired the January 6th investigation, said, quote, 
faith in our system is the foundation of American democracy. If the faith is broken, so is our democracy. Donald Trump broke that face. He lost the 2020 election and he knew it, but he chose to try to stay in office through a multi-part scheme. This can never happen again. So this was the wrap-up of the January 6th committee's investigation. They're wrapping it up before the end of the year because Republicans retake control of the majority of the House in January. But quite a momentous end to a long investigation. Also happening today, the House Ways and Means Committee is expected to vote on whether to make six years of Trump's tax records public. It's a three-year court fight for the tax returns. Other presidents have routinely made their tax returns public since the 1970s. Trump promised that he would when he was running and then never did. They finally obtained his tax returns um, from the Treasury Department last month, returns from 2015 to 2020. The panel actually just needs a simple majority vote to release Trump's returns. And Democrats hold 25 of the 42 committee seats. So it's expected later today that they're going to release Trump's tax returns to the public. Now, last thing on the investigation, of course, Republicans are already warning Democrats that they're going to launch their own investigations when they retake the majority control in January into Hunter Biden, into Fauci and more. However, unlike January 6th, where McCarthy declined to appoint Republicans to the investigative committee, Democrats have been very clear they will not decline their seats on any of the investigative committees, which means we should expect more the point-counterpoint pacing of traditional investigations and the grandstanding when both sides are trying to undermine the other versus the smooth and choreographed January 6th committee, which only happened because both Republican members who bucked their party to be on the committee itself worked in concert with their Democratic counterparts for a clear and orderly investigative process. So if January 6th committee seemed like an unusual investigation coming out of Congress, it was. The investigations that Republicans will likely launch will be very different. And because the Democrats retained control of the Senate, and even though Sinema left the Democratic Party last week, she's still caucusing with or keeping her votes with the Democratic Party for procedural issues, the Democrats in the Senate will have subpoena and investigative powers in the Senate. So you'll likely see conflicting or point-counterpoint investigations between the House and the Senate next year. Other things to pay attention to this week, of course, Twitter. I'll keep hearing about Twitter. You know, Last week started with Musk getting booed at a Dave Chappelle show, then suspended an account that tracked Musk's private jet, citing a new policy banning the release of any person's live location. Funny that it only first used Musk's location as the thing. But much bigger in terms of democracy later in the week. On Thursday, Twitter suspended the accounts of several high-profile tech journalists and then the Fox business reporter who covered the suspensions. And then a Washington Post reporter was uh, suspended on Saturday after she'd asked Musk for comment on a story. A lot of blowback. Those accounts have now been reinstated. Twitter also quickly reversed a rule that banned the sharing of links to other social media platforms after Musk publicly complained about free advertising for competitors. Of course, we're all talking about the fact that then Musk posted a poll saying, should he step down as Twitter CEO and promising to abide by the results? Unless you know Musk well, you don't know if he was hoping for a yes or a no, but ended, the poll ended yesterday, 57.5% of voters saying he should step down. Reports today surfacing that they're actively searching for a new CEO, but no conclusion of whether he's stepping down or not. But it really does matter for the impact on democracy about 
the role of Twitter as a place that misinformation and disinformation has spread, a space for public debate, a space for reporting and tracking news as it breaks. So lots of implications. Um, now, of course, it had also personal impacts for Musk. Tesla's stock is slumping. Um, yesterday, Senator Elizabeth Warren actually wrote a public letter to the chair of Tesla's board asking whether Musk and the board may have violated legal obligations to Tesla shareholders. And a senior EU official has said that arbitrary suspension of journalists could lead to sanctions under the Digital Services Act in the EU. So these dynamics of how, as a public platform, do you engage with democracy and the news is really one to keep watching. And of course, we'll keep going over the next few months or years. We'll see. Two more things to really reflect on today. Um, of course, not just the big name, uh, big headlines, but things happening in the States that are really important to pay attention to. Um, both some good and some bad news coming out of the States. The two big ones this week, uh, Ohio and North Carolina. Ohio is now the latest of a series of Republican-controlled states to pass a comprehensive election bill, really an election suppression bill or restriction bill. Um, this one created strict ID, photo ID requirements for in-person voting, limited dropbox, shortened deadlines for receipt and cure of mail-in ballots. So not great results. The voter ID law adds Ohio to a list of 18 mostly Republican states that require photo ID to vote and limits the number of IDs that are allowed, the types of IDs um, from a much longer list to a very short list of a driver's license, state ID card, passport, or military ID. Um, also no longer allows you to verify your provisional ballot in an easy way. Instead, you have to bring the ID to the county election office. If you want to vote by mail, it's reducing the time that you can use to request vote by mail. If you want to cure your ballot, correct any errors, you have to go into the county elections office. And in counties that have multiple places, multiple offices, there's only one drop box per county allowed. The one silver lining out of Ohio is they did actually find the appropriate money to be able to move all counties to electronic poll books in future elections and require checking all election equipment before each election to ensure that they're working properly. So mostly bad news out of Ohio, but a little silver lining. The more positive uh, result coming out of North Carolina, perhaps the last good decision for democracy coming out of North Carolina, given the recent flip of the North Carolina Supreme Court, which will take effect next month. But yesterday, the North Carolina Supreme Court, in a close 4-3 decision, rendered its final ruling declaring that the 2018 bill, four years ago, the 2018 voter ID law was enacted with racially discriminatory intent and therefore violated the state constitution's equal protection law. So the decision has come after years of litigation in state and federal court. It hasn't been enforced since it was uh, put on pause pending review in February 2020. But these cases take a long time to work through the legal process and a reminder of how important state courts are in defending our government, in defending our government and our democracy. So that'll be a continued topic that we'll be covering very closely next year. But for now, the last thing to talk about is how do we pay for the government? So last week, the Senate passed a one-week government funding bill to avoiding a government shutdown. And early this morning, Democrat and Republican appropriators released a huge $1.7 trillion fiscal 2023 omnibus spending bill. So now it's going to be a race to the end of the 117th Congress this week to try to pass it. 
the hope uh, is that all the members of the Senate, you have to have 100 members of the Senate unanimously allow to speed up the review process. A couple conservative senators are already saying publicly this morning that they may not, so we'll see. But that's where we are as I'm recording this podcast to tell you. Both sides of the aisle are claiming victories about this package. The bill itself is 4,155 pages. It covers dozens of annual spending bills for every federal agency. Supplemental aid for the war in Ukraine, for victims of natural disaster, and a bunch of unrelated policies. Horse racing industry rules, which Mitch McConnell in Kentucky was pushing for, a TikTok ban on government-issued devices, and a lot more. Uh, The final numbers include $858 billion in defense-related spending, which is about a 10% increase. Republicans celebrating it. It's more than actually Biden asked for. Both sides are praising the $119 billion increase uh, for veterans' medical care. It's a 22% increase over last year. And closing out with a final piece of good news for our democracy, this omnibus bill also includes legislation to overhaul the Electoral Count Act. This would clarify that the vice president's role in counting electoral votes is simply clerical in nature, and it raises the threshold for the number of senators and representatives needed to object to state-certified electoral ballots. This basically is designed to uh, prevent a repeat of the 2020 certification fight. So assuming that uh, this big omnibus bill gets passed and the ECA clarification stays in, be kind of a final good piece of news for our democracy at the end of the year. That's all for this week's review of American Democracy. And as I said, actually, that's all for this year's review of American Democracy. This is our last 10 Minutes on Democracy podcast. I'll be on vacation for the next two weeks, so we'll be back recording on January 10th. Until then, I'm wishing you all a restful holiday break and a wonderful start to the new year. I look forward to talking with you again next year on 10 Minutes on Democracy. Until then, take care.